Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, but you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the book of Acts. We are in chapter 11. We are looking at verses 1 through 18, Acts 11, 1 through 18. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. We read that again. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. And as I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, this is Peter, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not called profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them, Gentiles, and us. The six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which your entire household will be saved. 
And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced and they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we jump into this text in Acts, remember Acts is that first book after the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. We've heard all the stories in the four Gospels about Jesus, and now it's time to pivot and do something in response to the event of Jesus on earth, the resurrection, all of the healings, all of the teachings, all of Christ's presence now shifts to the Apostles responding to that event that is Christ with us. Things change in this passage. Some of God's own laws and restrictions change in this passage. So I thought I would bring to you first, just to get us started, some of the things in our country that have changed, laws and regulations throughout its history. I'm just gonna give you a handful. We'll start easy, alcohol. From 1920 to 1923, 1933, the United States government issued a ban on the production, importation, and sale of alcohol. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you remember that. Religious members of the government hoped the 18th Amendment would promote temperance and believed its passing to be a moral victory. But the rise in bootleg spirits and gang violence led to the repeal of the 18th and the ratification of the 21st Amendment 13 years later. Shopping on Sunday, blue laws, some of us remember that. Restrictive activities on Sundays for religious reasons. They've been struck down and upheld all over the country since the 19th century. It prohibited buying and selling goods on Sunday to promote it as a day of rest. Though many counties opted out in the mid-1960s, it is still effect in communities like Bergen, New Jersey. Anybody from Bergen, New Jersey? Yep, B, you're kidding. So this is your influence here. Good for you. She's got power, that one. Getting your fortune told. Several states used to have bans on fortune telling. In Nebraska, a case went to court and it was overturned, violation of the First Amendment, but Pennsylvania and some other states still have laws against it. Here's one we all come into contact with. Mocking someone for not agreeing to a duel. A group was tasked in 1999 to get rid of some of Michigan's archaic bizarre laws that were still in effect. One that was still on the books until 2015 was the law prohibiting reproachful or contemptuous language in print against anyone who declines a duel challenge. 
So here are a few other ones. Buying many liquor bottles. Couldn't do that until 2014. Our friends in New Orleans helped us with that. Surprise, surprise. Drinking on election day. You used to not be able to do that. I don't know if that hurts us or helps us at this point. <laughs> Kentucky, it was illegal to buy alcohol from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That was overturned in 2013. Pinball. During World War II, the New York government deemed pinball a money-stealing game that was taking away the focus from fighting the war overseas. The game was banned in 1942, and 2,000 pinball machines were confiscated. It wasn't until 72, 1972 that the California Supreme Court ruled that the game was a skill-based game. Not gambling, so the law was overturned. Two more. Golfing on Sunday. New York's blue law started to become less strict as the 20th century rolled on, but golfing was regarded as a violation on Sundays until 1952. There was a shift in the attendance of Christian attendance at that point. That's when the church was in its heyday. Everybody went to play golf. And the last one, government employees doing crosswords. 1989's Ethic Reform Act barred government employees from accepting money for speeches and events, okay? The law was oddly broad, however, and banned them from acts including writing crossword puzzles or teaching dance for pay. The Supreme Court updated the law in 1995. So what we see as over time, and there are still some crazy laws on the books in different states around the country. But what we see is the basic understanding of the evolution of our culture and society. As time moves on, so too do some of the laws that we once held as the way that our communities operated are shifted. Some of those laws we might look back on and say were helpful, and some we might look back and say some weren't. Today, we are in a similar position in this passage in Acts. So this is all about Peter. But before Peter, there's Cornelius. In chapter 10, right before our chapter 11, where we read this morning, Cornelius is a Roman centurion, a dirty Gentile. Outside of the house of Israel, not accepted, not clean, God told them not to interact. God said to stay away from their food, stay away from their culture, stay away from their idols so that it would not infect the house of Israel. So Cornelius has a dream. This Roman soldier in charge of the Italian cohort, he's pretty high up. And he has a dream by the Holy Spirit that says, send men to Joppa where Peter is and tell him to come to you. I want both of y'all together. So the three men go and while they're going in that process, Peter has a rooftop vision. Not uncommon for the rooftop. And Peter in a, in a state, in a trance, see something like a sheet come down and he's close enough to see that on it are all of these animals that are unclean 
as we're told in Leviticus and other places in the Torah that were unclean due to the dietary laws and restrictions and the, and the cleanliness codes throughout the Torah that they could not touch, they could not eat, they could not come into contact with, or you could, they had to take special measures after that to become clean again. And God says something so profane to Peter. Take all of this, which you have known for centuries and centuries, thousands of years, kill and eat. Peter says, oh, oh, no, Lord. It'd be interesting to see how many times Peter says no to God throughout his ministry. He says, oh, no, Lord, I, I would never, trying to be a good and faithful Jew, right? I would never eat anything that is unclean or profane. I've never taken anything into my lips, into my body that is profane. I abide by your laws. No way I'm eating what you just said to eat. And God says, Peter, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happens three times, three times. So Peter is confused about this vision he just had. He's trying to figure out there's some big things happening in that vision. And Cornelius's men, remember, he sent them to get Peter. And while Peter was figuring it out, the Holy Spirit says, I have sent them to Peter, go with them to Cornelius. So Peter keeps them that night, and the next day they go to Cornelius in Caesarea. And Peter gets there and says, hey, you yourself know that it's unlawful for Jews to associate or to visit a Gentile. Yet, I've just had this vision. God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone profane or unclean. Peter then starts preaching. And in the process of Peter preaching with this group of Gentiles, the Holy Spirit descends on them, these dirty Gentiles. They were speaking in tongues like the first Pentecost. We will get to Pentecost in Acts 2. Right now we're in Acts 11. I know it's a little bit out of sequence. So the original Pentecost has already happened. Spirit descended on those disciples, apostles, and now it is what the Gentiles call the Gentile Pentecost. The Spirit, just like it did there, descended upon them. They speak in tongues, just like the first group. And then Peter baptizes. He almost says, I guess we shouldn't withhold water from this. Look what's going on here. And baptizes all those dirty Gentiles. So in response to that, that's chapter 10. So chapter 11, where we pick up, there is a council. People have heard that Peter is eating with Gentiles. Simon the tanner, that's where he starts. And a tanner is someone who works with leather and animals. Would have been dealing with blood and odor and all kinds of other stuff that was not appropriate. Peter is staying with him. And then, of course, Cornelius And he baptizes, Peter baptizes all of those Gentiles. And say, what are you doing, Peter? Early church council. And say, why are you eating with and baptizing these uncircumcised? And circumcised, uncircumcised is just a way 
to say in the house of Israel and outside of the house of Israel. And the term Gentile, anything, anybody outside of the house of Israel. They are circumcised in the house of Israel, not circumcised outside of the house of Israel. So they're questioning Peter, why are you messing with these dirty, unclean people? Eating with them? Baptizing them? And Peter says, he doesn't respond and say, hey, God's word is for everybody. Christ came for everybody. He doesn't argue in doctrine. He doesn't argue theology. He says, let me tell you about this vision I have. He told them a story about how God had just communicated with him. And again, tells the same story we just heard the prior chapter, the same story we read almost verbatim. She comes down, animals, Peter kill, eat. Oh no, don't call anything unclean that I, I have made clean. Don't call anything profane that I have made. And then the three men that Cornelius sent, they lift up this phrase again. The spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. That is Gentiles, and Jews slash young Christians. Peter quickly remembers Jesus' words. Jesus said, John will baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And an interesting question Peter asks here. If then God gave them the same spirit that he gave us and we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Peter is asking, can I hinder God if I'm not following what God asked me? I hinder? Do I have that kind of power? The council then responds with the final phrase, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Quite the passage, quite a lot going on in there. So let's take the bacon piece of this first. So he's in the vision. He sees all this food. It says, you cannot eat. And Peter says, or God says, take and eat. And several thoughts from scholars and interpreters on this. The bigger picture of this passage is not the food. It is Gentiles being welcomed in to the community of faith into God's kingdom into the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a pivot moment for the Bible, for all of our understanding about who is welcome at God's table. And God is changing former laws to say, everyone is welcome at my table. I'm sending you out, Peter, and laying the groundwork for Paul, whose main mission was to be the light to the Gentiles and go out and spread that word. It starts here with this council, the pivot to the Gentiles. So some think that is, the, that is the bigger picture. We all agree on that. What we don't agree on is what to do with this food business. From this point on, then is it okay for Jews to eat that which they had been barred from eating for thousands of years, eating unclean animals. And some say, no, it's just like when Jesus says, I'm the living water. If you take this in, you will never be thirsty. And the same thing with the bread of life. If you eat 
eat this bread, meaning Christ himself, you will never be hungry. It's metaphorical in what he's seeing, but the bigger picture is Gentiles being welcomed in. It's one interpretation. Another is that indeed from this point on, Jews could eat that which had formerly been on the banned list by God earlier in their Jewish life. Again, in the Torah, the purity laws around Leviticus 11. I think it's a combination of both of those. Peter sees this vision. There is no mistaking what God tells him. And as God is bringing in the Gentiles, along with the Gentiles come their food. And to make it easier to welcome them, I think it became acceptable for this food to come in to be shared in this way. So why did God prohibit them, the Jews in the first place, from messing with Gentiles around them? Well, part of that reason is for idolatry. They didn't want a young Israel, Hebrews, as they were developing as a nation, to be influenced by all of those pagans worshiping all these other gods around them. So God said, for now, let's face in. Let's focus so we won't be tempted by their idol, by the idolatry and including their food. Remember, so much happens around the breaking of bread and during meals throughout the Bible. There is no internet. There is no country club. There is no streaming services. You can't even run down to the CVS or the Target or the Walmart or the Publix. But what they did do to gather together was to break bread. And even the food would have been um, idolatrous at that point in their journey. So God says, stay away. But God is changing those laws. And that's hard for us. Imagine how it was for them. This is an everyday observance, every meal, everything you put into your mouth is kosher according to the laws that God had set out with your ancestors and their ancestors before. And now, all of a sudden, they are changing. And God says, don't, don't call profane what I have made clean. And even bigger, those dirty Gentiles that we're supposed to stay away from are now supposed to sit with us pew to pew in our church. And we're supposed to be like we have always been friends and part of the family. Difficult, hard. What would have happened if the council said, Peter, you are out of line and we need to keep this in-house? I don't believe any of us would be Christians today, at least certainly not in the way that it happened. God's will will be done, period. But at one time, all of us were the minority, even though we are the majority of people surrounding Israel, Judea. We were minority of faith. And there was a question about whether we deserved to have God's love and God's grace in our life. Remind you of anybody? 
guy who ran from God's call and eaten by a big fish. If you remember the story of Jonah, he ran from God, not because he just was lazy or didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He ran from God because God told him to go to Nineveh. Ew. They were enemies. They were dirty. They were unclean. And Jonah said, no way they are worthy of your love and your grace. I am not taking it to them. I am running. And we know what happened. God's will will be done. And it was. And though Jonah was secretly hoping that God, that they wouldn't repent after hearing the news, he just comes in to town and says, God says, you better start abiding or, or repent or that's it. You'll be destroyed. And then he leaves, he goes up, finds a nice shady spot on top of the mountain under a little tree provided there. And he's waiting for the big explosion, the big thunderbolts from God. And what do you know? They repent and they turn back to God. In the same way, they're trying to decide if the Gentiles are worthy of God's blessings, of God's love, of Christ's risen power. We were all the minorities in that time, in that place. We were on the outside. Our voices didn't matter. We were on the margins. We were unclean. And the passage today is calling us to look at who today is on the margins. Who are we look, who do we look at as the unclean? And what is our role as Christians now? I'd like to read something for you uh, and just stay with me. This is a speech from Dan Ponder Jr. Dan was the Georgia House of Representatives uh, in the Georgia State House of Representatives and in the year 2000, he stood up for Georgia to have an anti-hate law. March 16th, 2000, they had shelved and voted 83 to 82 to shelve a bill enhancing penalties for hate-based crimes when Dan Ponder, I believe, uh, from, from Georgia, absolutely, I can't remember now where he's from, 43-year-old conservative Republican businessman from rural southwestern Georgia, Cartersville, thank you, defied expectations, and rose to support the bill. Ponder owned a chain of fast food franchises, not seeking re-election. And after the bill, after his speech, they passed this legislation, 116 to 49. I'm going to share some of the pieces of this so you understand. I'm going to read a little bit. Stay with me, please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Ladies and gentlemen of the House, I'm probably the last person most unlikely person you would expect to be hearing about the well, about from the well, about hate crime legislation. I'm going to talk a, bit, a little bit differently about it. I want to share some of my life in this process. I'm a white Republican who lives in the very southwest corner of the most ultra conservative part of the state. I grew up there. I have agricultural roots. I grew up hunting and fishing. I was raised a in the conservative Baptist church. I went to large, mostly white Southern University and lived, lived in and was the president of the largest totally white fraternity on that campus. 
I had nine separate great-great-great-grandfathers that fought in the Confederacy. I don't have a single ancestor that lived north of the Mason-Dixon line, and I am not proud, but it was a part of my heritage, but several of those actually owned slaves. I come from a privileged background, but hate has no discrimination. When it picks its victims, I have a Catholic brother-in-law. My sister could not be married in their church, and his priest refused to marry them because they were of different faiths. I have a Jewish brother-in-law. The difference in that religion has caused part of my family to be estranged for over 25 years. I was the president of the largest fraternity at Auburn University, which won an award while I was there as the best chapter in the country. Out of over 100 members, six of those now are now openly gay, but the lasting bond of brotherhood that we pledged to ourselves didn't apply if you should later come out and declare yourself gay. But I'm standing here today for this reason. There was a woman in my life that made a huge difference and her name was Mary Ward. She began working for my family before I was born. She was a young black woman whose own grandmother raised my mother. Mary, or Maymar as I called her, came every morning before I was awake to cook breakfast so it would be on the table. She cooked our lunch, she washed our clothes. But she was more than that. She read to me. She played ball with me. She was never afraid to discipline or spank me, and she expected the, the best out of me. She would travel with my family, just as her grandmother had done. One day when I was 12 or 13, I was leaving for school. As I walked out the door, she turned to kiss me goodbye, and for some reason, I turned my head. She stopped me and looked into my eyes with a look that absolutely burns in my memory right now, and she said, you didn't kiss me because I'm black. At that instant, I knew she was right. Hate is all around us. It takes shape and form in ways that are somehow so small that we don't even recognize them to begin with until they somehow become acceptable to us. It is up to us as parents and leaders in our communities to take a stand to say loudly and clearly that this is not acceptable. To those who would say this bill is creating special class of citizen, I would say, who would choose to be a class of citizen? Who would choose to be gay and risk the alienation of your own family and friends and coworkers? Who would choose to be Jewish so that they could endure the kind of hatred over the years that led to the Holocaust and near extinction of the Jewish people? Who would choose to be black so their places of worship could be burned down or so they could spend another day in the back of the line? We are who we are because God alone chose to make us that way. Hate crimes are about sending a message. I ask you to look in within yourself, do what you think is right, and I ask you to vote yes on this bill and no to hate. And in every time one of those groups was mentioned, we could have inserted ourselves as Gentiles in that place. But God opened that up to us and said, there are seats at the table for you. In the same way these groups mentioned, God has opened up the table and said, there is a place for you. The bill passed in 2000, stayed for four years, and then was overturned by the Georgia Supreme Court as being unconstitutionally vague and lasted without until 2020 in response to Ahmaud Arbery and others for a very specific crime, a hate crime bill that we are all probably more familiar with. So today we are being asked, 
Will we hinder God or will we, as John says, love one another as God has loved us? They will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. They won't have to guess whose disciple we are. They won't have to guess the actions we're taking and why. They won't have to guess about who we are and whose we are. So I leave you with the question, will we hinder God or will we love others like God loved us? Hallelujah, amen.